You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. We're looking at the very end of Exodus chapter 2, and it's a section that we've already referred to a couple of times in our study as we've been working our ways through our way, working our way through chapter 1 and chapter 2. And we've we've probably covered it enough to where if we wanted to, we could just blow through it and go right into chapter 3. Um, but as I was looking at it, I felt like, you know, there is still, um, I think, a need for us to kind of just camp out here for today and to really look and see what what these uh, couple of verses communicate to us and really the framework that it sets for our understanding of the rest of the book uh, moving forward. So I want to read to you those verses uh, here at the end of chapter 2 in verse 23. Again, this is after um, Moses has attempted to rescue Israel uh, or at least present himself as their deliverer. They have rejected him. He has fled to Midian. He's gained a wife and a family uh, and a new occupation. He's now a shepherd for his father-in-law, and he is um, basically uh, retired in a lot of ways. I mean, he's just kind of doing his own thing, doing it differently now. He's gone from being the prince of Egypt to a a lowly shepherd and uh, is probably content to carry out his days in that manner. Um, But as we've been talking about, even in the midst of his failures, God's not done with him. God's sovereignty still reigns supreme. And so God's obviously going to come back and use Moses, but it's verses 23, 24, and 25 that help us to see what's going on from a big picture perspective. It says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Our summary sentence for today. As believers, our help comes from the Lord, who hears our cries, remembers his covenant promises to us as his people, sees our individual predicaments, and knows exactly what to do when his timing is right to act. As believers, our help comes from the Lord who hears our cries, remembers his covenant promises to us as his people, sees our individual predicaments, and knows exactly what to do when his timing is right to act. For our kids, when God's people cry, God hears and responds. Now, there's a lot of tension here in this scene that we don't feel necessarily as the reader because we obviously have an understanding of the big picture. We know where this story is going. But if you put yourself in the shoes of a Hebrew at this time, uh, not knowing about Moses, not knowing about all that God is doing, there's some real tension here uh, about what is happening. If you were a Hebrew, you could easily be asking, is Israel cursed for some type of sin? Is there something that we've done as a nation? Is there some individual that's a part of our people that has done something where God is punishing us for this now through this slavery, right? Uh, you could also be asking, is Israel abandoned to this condition, right? Has God forgotten or has he adjusted his plans to where we're no longer included in them? God is virtually silent during these 400 years. He's not communicating to them, 
regular reminders. Hey, don't forget Genesis 15. I promised that you were going to be in slavery. And then 400 years later, you were going to come out of that, right? Like there's, there's no reason to think that he's regularly communicating to them. He communicated it. It's been passed down through oral tradition because Genesis isn't even written down yet at this point, right? Moses is going to write this later. So for them, it's strictly mom, dad, grandma, grandpa that are maybe reminding them, hey, God made a promise to Abraham. God's going to rescue us. But pending how well that's been passed down, every family may not be receiving that in their uh, nightly family time together, right? And so uh, they're rightly probably asking these questions to themselves. Are we cursed? Are we abandoned? What's happening to us as a people? The framework created by these three verses, 23, 24, and 25, they help us understand the remainder of the book in its proper context, meaning what we see in chapter 3 moving forward is the, uh, the unfolding of these events are not going to take place because of Moses, and they're not about Moses. They're not about any other human. They're not about Pharaoh. They're not about Aaron or Miriam. The unfolding of these events will take place because God keeps his covenant. God keeps his covenant, and that's his nature to do so, right? So chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, give us the framework for understanding all the events moving forward. God using Moses, God bringing about the plagues, God changing Pharaoh's heart, uh, softening it and hardening it to where they're, they're released, but then also hardened in such a way where Pharaoh comes after them so that God can, can destroy the Egyptians. The, the splitting of the Red Sea, everything that comes about, comes about because God keeps his covenant. Not because Moses is a great leader, right? It comes about because God keeps his covenant, the driving force of this part of the story is God remembering his promise to Abraham. And here's what's an encouragement to us, is that God is still working and moving today in response to his promises to Abraham. Think about that. Like the things that God is doing today, he has not changed courses and started like a new thing. God is continuing to keep his promises made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. It's a nod to his faithfulness. It helps reassure us today, thousands of years later, that God is still doing the same things, that he's still being faithful. He's still being faithful to individuals that he made promises to centuries ago. He's keeping these promises. God said, I'm going to send somebody through Abraham's line. We're about to start celebrating that in this Christmas season. I'm going to send Jesus through Abraham, who's going to bring salvation to Israel, but not just Israel alone, right? He's going to bring salvation to the whole world. God's keeping his promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. He's a covenant-keeping God. Many of you have looked at the Jesus Storybook Bible before, and it defines covenant as God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. His never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. It's that love that comes through in verses 23, 24, and 25. It's that love that motivates all the actions that come in chapter 3 and following. God is ready to deliver his people from bondage, and it's clear who's going to generate the rescue. It's not Moses, right? Moses, the, the, the furthest thought he has right now is going back and rescuing Israel, right? He's thinking, I tried that, I, I attempted that, I'm done with that. This is all about God. This rescue is going to be all about God doing it and not Moses. Now, 
why does all that matter? Why does, why does that big intro that I've just given you matter? Why do I want you dialed into verses 23, 24, and 25 today? Well, think back about why we said we're studying Exodus. A couple of reasons that are relevant to this passage today. We want to see Israel's history as our history. What we believe about God today is rooted in what we know about God yesterday. Okay? So, moms and dads, we can't communicate to our kids that God keeps his promises without some understanding of how God has done that in the past, right? Exodus gives us the ammunition we need to tell our kids that God is faithful and keeps his promises. How do we know that? We've got stories like what happens here in Exodus, that God remembers his covenant and God keeps his covenant, all right? Um, But we also want to study this because we gain a deeper trust that our God remembers what he promises and is always working to fulfill those promises, not just for them, but for us too, all right, not just for them, but he's working to keep his promises for us today as well. So when we read this, that the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, they cried out for help, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant. God saw his people and God knew. That has direct application for us today. Now you may not be groaning and, and, and crying out for help because of slavery, But all of us are groaning and crying and praying for a variety of needs that that take place in our life. And the assurance to us here is that God remembers his covenant to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. That as we pray today, we cry out for help today, we can trust that our prayers go up to God. And that God hears us, that God remembers his covenant, that God sees us, and God knows and that is, that's all the assurance I need walking out today into whatever this week throws at me. That I have this assurance that comes, that my God hears me, and my God knows exactly what I need. God's faithfulness to keep his promise to send a rescuer who, use, who he uses to deliver his people is the framework for trusting him in all things. Let me say that again. God's faithfulness to keep his promise, to send a rescuer who he uses to deliver his people, is the framework for trusting him in all things. Remember, God is going to continually come back to the fact that he rescued Israel. As as we move forward and Israel becomes a nation and they start to develop this history as a nation, God constantly refers them back to, remember, I'm the God that rescued you. You trust me today. I'm the God who rescued you. You trust me today. Now, we as a people of God today, we don't have to think all the way back to Exodus every time, right? Because there's a greater deliverance, a greater rescue that's happened even more recently. Still thousands of years ago, but Jesus came as a much greater rescuer than Moses, right? He comes to save us from our slavery to sin. But God would still say the same things to us today. I'm the God who delivered you. Trust me today. I'm the God who rescued you. Trust me today. These three verses remind us that the pharaohs of the world cannot create enough chaos to stop God's plans, right? Pharaoh's been trying to stop God's plans inadvertently, unknowingly. He's been working against God's plans in chapters one and two, and yet he can't stop God's plans. He's tried to stop the multiplication of Israel. Israel keeps multiplying. He's trying to squash them as a nation. They keep growing as a nation. Nothing can stop God's plans. This passage also reminds us, though, that the mistakes by God's people cannot create enough failure to ruin God's plans. 
Moses messed it up. Moses tried to, to kind of work outside of God's power, tried to work amongst his own strength and, and whatnot, and he, and he couldn't lead Israel out. He didn't mess up God's plan. God's still going to come back and use him as we get into chapter 3. All right, let's jump into these three verses and look at it uh, a little bit more closely about what's happening here. Number one, we don't hope in political change. We don't hope in political change. Super great timing for this to come up in the midst of the political change that we're experiencing right now. We're in the midst of election season. We've got a runoff coming up here soon as well. But as believers, we don't hope in political change, right? During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. They probably cried out for help to this new Pharaoh as well, but their cries for help go up to God. They go up to God. We don't hope in political change. Earthly leaders change, but they cannot bring about ultimate change. Earthly leaders change. They come and go, but when they're in power, they cannot bring about ultimate change. The political upheaval of a dying king offered no hope to Israel, or really no real hope. They may have anticipated maybe things will change now that a new pharaoh has come. Because think about it, the last time there was political change, things changed, right? Because prior to this current pharaoh, the pharaoh before had a relationship with Joseph, and he took care of Israel. It was in the midst of that political change that things started to go south for Israel. They fall under the bondage of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Maybe now as a new Pharaoh comes to power, things will change. Here's the thing, newsflash, he doesn't remember Joseph any better than his predecessor, right? It's not like the new Pharaoh had a relationship with Joseph. So so there's really no real hope for Israel here. They go from a Pharaoh who knew Joseph to a Pharaoh who knows not Joseph, to a Pharaoh who has only ever known Israel as slaves. Like this new Pharaoh, his, his primary knowledge is Israel being slaves, right? The previous Pharaoh knew Israel as kind of co-equals. Hey, they're both dwelling, they're dwelling in the land with us. He may have forgotten Joseph, right? But he at least had an understanding that Israel wasn't always slaves. This new Pharaoh, most of his experience, if not all of his experience, is with Israel being slaves. It's the new norm. He's certainly not going to change that. Any hope of change is met with more of the same old. Slavery is now the norm, and there's no reason for a Pharaoh to change it. But there is hope in the midst of this change. And I think this this changing of the guard, this changing of the ruler of Egypt is mentioned here because it comes back into play in Exodus chapter 4, verse 19. While the new Pharaoh is not going to deliver Israel or release Israel or, or let them not be slaves anymore, there is something unique about him. And Exodus chapter 4, verse 19 tells us that. God communicating with Moses about going back to rescue Israel It says in verse 19, And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. Remember, he had killed the Egyptian. The Pharaoh comes looking for him, wants to seize him, arrest him, probably put him to death as well. So there was a a group that was infuriated with Moses. He goes from being a prince to now a rebel. You're working against us, but now all those people are dead. God says the, the setting is perfect now. Now, as you come back, you come back as a prophet, not a fugitive. Those that were looking to kill you are not here any longer. 
So there is hope in the midst of this political change, but not maybe in the ways that we would think. God has paved the way for Moses to return to set his people free. Number two, earthly leaders can help, but they cannot bring about ultimate help. They can help, but they cannot bring about ultimate help. Even the best earthly leaders are limited in their ability to provide help. Some cries may be heard, but others remain silent. Think about in, in the midst of our political change, right? Both parties voting for who they believe will, will do what's best for everyone. And when those different leaders are, are elected and promoted, they hear the cries of some, but they can't possibly hear the cries of all. And they certainly can't make decisions that serve everyone. They, they do their best for the most part, probably, hopefully. We, we, we at least trust them with that, that they're doing their best to work for what's best, hopefully, for the majority. And, and, and hopefully that extends to everybody. But human, human leaders are limited, right? They're limited in their knowledge. They're limited in their application of what they know to be true and how to respond to those needs, Earthly leaders can bring about some help, but they can't bring about ultimate help. Only God can do that. Only God can know us intimately, like these verses describe. Only God can hear the cries of everyone, all of his people, hear them and respond in ways that are needed. We don't hope in political change. Hopefully you aren't hoping in political change. But in the midst of election season... And in the midst of continuing election seasons, let us not fall prey, into th- fall, fall prey to the idea that, hey, if we get the right leaders in place, then things will be better. Even the best leaders are corrupt. Even the best leaders can be swayed. Even the best leaders can be manipulated. We don't hope in political change. Here's what we do. We labor to elect leaders. We pray for the leaders who are elected, but we never hope or despair in the leaders we have. We don't hope or despair in them, right? Um, some, of, some of the guys in the church, we stayed up late on election night, and we were texting back and forth about what was happening and what we thought might happen and, and whatnot. Um, in the midst of that discussion, it's helpful to be reminded we don't hope in the results and we don't despair in the results. Either way, right? All of us have experienced election nights where we were pleased with the results and dissatisfied with the results. We don't hope or despair in either, though. We don't hope or despair in either. And here's the thing, for a lot of us, the ways that we vote are motivated by what we believe will will help serve, particularly the unborn, right? It's, it's 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 a major issue for a lot of people in their voting. Here's the thing, that if anything, Exodus has taught us already about this, is that God can still save babies with the worst leaders in office, Right? Like, like, we don't even have to despair for our unborn children as though, hey, the only way for them to be saved is to have the right leaders in office. Because here's the thing, even the worst leaders who, who open up certain political rights, they simply make it possible for certain things to happen, right? We, we've never seen a day in our country where things were being mandated that children had to be killed, Right? This is, this is a much worse scenario where there was a political leader in place who was demanding that kids be killed. And what was God doing? Saving children. Saving children in the midst of laws being made for children to be killed. We don't hope or despair in elected leaders. Right? We do our part as good citizens to play the role of a citizen in our country, in our county, in our city. We don't hope or despair in either one, though. Right? We trust in a God who is far greater than any of the political change 
that we experience. Instead, number two, we find hope through prayer. We find hope not through political change, but through prayer. Israel is experiencing political change. A new Pharaoh is coming to power. This is a Pharaoh who will serve until he dies, right? They don't even have the hope of a change every four years or every two years or, or anything like that. This guy's in place until he dies. And so, man, let's try to get this right. It'll be super helpful if we have a great Pharaoh here because we're going to have him for a while. He gets into power and, and lo and behold, he keeps Israel as slaves and nothing's changing and maybe it's continuing to get worse. And so it had been easy to despair. Hey, the hope of a political change has not led to change. They're crying out for help. They're praying for help. Their prayers come up to God. And the way these two verses play out give us a lot of hope for our own prayer lives today as well. We find hope through prayer. Number one, we pray to a God who hears. We pray to a God who hears. Prayer, one commentator said, prayer brings God into the situation from our perspective. Prayer brings God into the situation from our perspective. Now, God's already aware of everything that's happening with Israel. God's already in the know, right? So it's not that the Israelites begin to cry out, and then God's like, oh, wow, I didn't know this was happening. I need to do something. No. But from their perspective, they are reaching out to a sovereign God and bringing him into the situation from their perspective. They are bringing their needs to him. There's encouragement. There's great encouragement here to us that our groans and our pleas do not go unheard. The groans and the pleas that we have, and we've all been through times where where our prayers get amplified, where they're not just normal prayers anymore. There's something deep and serious happening in our life. And our prayers go from just praying to God to crying out to God, to groaning to God. They were at a low point here and their groans are heard by God. I want to take some time to to read to you from the Psalms about the assurance that we have that God hears these type of prayers. Psalms chapter 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. My King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. Verse 11, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. We see some of the same wordage there in Psalm chapter five. The cries and the groans and the assurance and belief that God will hear and that God will move and react to it. Psalm chapter 34 
I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name altogether. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Cry to him, groan to him. He hears you. Psalm chapter 130. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. We take comfort in these verses because they remind us that if we groan and we cry, God hears us as well. But here's what's awesome to see in the New Testament, how this really gets, gets amped up and, uh, to, a, to an even higher level here, okay? So, so look with me in, in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Because you could easily read that and say, man, the, the psalmist knew what they were doing, right? Like, like they can write in a poetic way that I never could. So if there's any thought process that maybe the way that we pray or the heart behind our prayer, that, that some way we, we have to articulate our needs and our groans and our pleas in a certain way to be heard, right? Unless we reach the level of the psalmist, Maybe God won't hear my mumble jumble, not really sure how to articulate what's going on in my life, but I need God's help for it kind of a thing, right? Romans 8, 26 gives you the assurance that you need, gives me the assurance that I need, that I may not articulate it the best way because I may not even really know what I need to say, but that God does for me. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, that's so familiar to us. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Here's what's so incredible about this passage is that the Holy Spirit groans on our behalf to ensure we are heard properly and clearly even when we don't know how to groan rightly ourselves. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit groans on our behalf to ensure we are heard properly and clearly even when we don't know how to groan rightly ourselves. Here's what these verses are telling us. Our groans, our cries for help become supernaturally altered where needed to become the very prayers for God's good 
that we need. Let me say that again. Our groans become supernaturally altered where needed to become the very prayers for God's good that we need. That's incredible. You need to to hang on to that truth today because what that is saying to us, these Old Testament verses tell us that when we groan and pray and cry for help, God hears us and God responds. But, but if you're like me, I panic and think, well, what if I don't say it right? Or what if I don't express it right? Or what if I'm even wrong for feeling these groanings and cries for help? Maybe I shouldn't be praying this way. Man, the Holy Spirit just says, I got you, right? The Holy Spirit says, I'm going to take what you think you're experiencing, what you're feeling. I'm going to change it. I'm going to alter it where it needs to be altered if need be. And I'm going to go to the throne for you. And I'm going to groan on your behalf. And I'm going I'm to groan in alignment with God's will so that I'm praying to your Father for the exact good that you need. And then the assurance comes in verse 28. He works all things for good to those who love him. Not to those who pray it correctly. He he works good for those who love him because the Holy Spirit's praying for you. The Holy Spirit goes to the Father and says, here's what these people need. Here's what they would pray to you if they even knew how to pray to you rightly about what they need. And the Trinity works together and provides good for the children of God. We are praying to a God who already knows what we need. This is exactly who we want to hear us. Right? Like, like we come praying to God and we come and we come stumbling over our words and the Holy Spirit comes and says, God, here's what they want. And God says, I was already doing it for them anyways. I was already about to bring this into play and they didn't even know it. Right? Like, we don't have to think that, that when we pray to God, like the children of Israel don't pray to God and say, hey, deliver us from slavery. And God's like, yeah, I guess I'll do that. So let me go figure out how we're going to do that now. No, like God's already been working to deliver them from slavery, right? Like he's already got Moses in an incubator over here in the wilderness, preparing him to be a shepherd for the people when they come into the wilderness. He's already doing it. But there's still a joy that comes from you asking him and him saying, I got you. Right? I love it when, um, when God gives me the wisdom that I need as a principal to anticipate needs of our parents, to work to meet those needs, and then have a parent sit down and ask me for what they need and me be able to say, we already got you here. Right? We recently had to make some changes to um, our, the way we're going to handle our exams here at the end of the semester. And so me and my team have been meeting for the past three or four weeks trying to get this right, right? We, we want our parents to have um, a, a December that doesn't completely overwhelm them, but we also need a December where our kids are assessed properly. So we've been working and moving and, and trying to get everything right. I had a couple of parents reach out to me and they were upset about something they read in our newsletter about things changing and they wanted to sit down and they had a list of things that they were concerned about. What about this? What about this? What about this? And it was, it was nice to be able to say, We've already handled that, we've already handled that, and we've already got that for you too, right? Like we've anticipated your needs, you come asking for it, and it gives me great joy to be able to say, we got you, right? Like that, that's a small example of what God does on a daily basis, right? Like we come praying for needs, and God's like, I'm already working and moving in that way. I already know what you need. The Holy Spirit already came for you and groaned for you on your behalf. That's the assurance that we have as God's children, that he is that bought into us with his covenant love. It goes back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're not a new thought for him, right? This is all part of a much bigger plan. When the prayer was made, the prayer was heard. 
They had no idea that God was already working to answer it. Think about this. They're crying out to God and praying for help. And from their vantage point, they probably feel like God's not even hearing it. Like we've been praying and we've been crying and we've been groaning and God must not even hear us because we don't see anything changing. We as the reader know everything is about to change drastically. It's true for your prayer life too. You can pray and groan and cry for help and feel like nothing's happening. And, and you don't have the big picture to see, man, everything's happening. Like, like things are about to radically change potentially and you have no idea. And you may be discouraged thinking, I'm praying and God's not hearing. Take comfort in the fact that God does hear. And God does see and God does respond. Number two, we pray to a God who remembers and doesn't remember. We pray to a God who remembers and doesn't remember. What do we mean by that? Our God is known for remembering promises and forgetting our forgiven sins. We need a God who does both these things to find safety and security in him. Right? Some of these psalmists even mentioned this as they come crying and praying for help. They acknowledge you are a God who doesn't hold our trespasses against us. You are a God who forgives iniquities. You're a God who keeps promises. You remember your promises. You forgive our sins. God remembers his promises we forget or fail to understand properly as well. Even if the people aren't praying rightly and saying, God, remember what you promised in Genesis 15. Remember, you promised 400 years. We're in year 399. You got one more year to fix this, right? Like we don't know how well versed they were in God's promise from Genesis 15, but we know God was very well versed in it because he made the promise. God remembers it even if these people don't. God remembers promises that he makes to us even when we fail to remember them too. And some of the greatest promises that we have as believers come from 1 John 1, verse 9. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Man, think about that picture, right? We've seen, what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, the Holy Spirit hears our prayers. He transforms them supernaturally and brings them to the Father. And if there was any chance of the Father saying, I have to reject that prayer because that's coming from a sinner. Jesus is standing right there saying, hey, I'm the advocate. I got the sin covered, right? Think about that. You got the Holy Spirit in Jesus advocating for us to the Father. One advocating the sins are forgiven. The other advocating saying, here's what they really need, right? They're praying and they're groaning. They don't even know what they need. Here's what they need. The Father has both in his throne room, the Holy Spirit and Jesus advocating for us. The second promise I wrote down, he forgives our sins, but he also has promised to save us to the very end. Think about this as a believer, like God has assured that he starts a good work in you, he finishes it. First, or Philippians 1.6. 1 Thessalonians, which we're studying right now in our small groups, and our, our discipleship groups, discipleship groups, First Thessalonians chapter five verse twenty three. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful; He will surely do it. 
Man, God promises that if you're his child, you make it to the promised land. You make it. He keeps you saved to the very end. He's going to do everything necessary to make sure you get there. He's got his Holy Spirit praying for you. He's got Jesus advocating for you. He makes promises and he keeps them. We pray to that type of God who remembers and doesn't remember. Number three, we pray to a God who sees. Not a lot to add here with this, except that I think it takes the intimacy level to another depth. He's not just a God who hears what we need. He sees what we need to. He adds a whole second stimulus here. Like he, he, he gets it. Doesn't just hear about it. He sees it. He sees it. I mean, it's, it's better than instant replay where you bring sight to, 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 to understanding. He's seeing it in real time. There's, there's cases at school where um, I hear about things and in my best wisdom, I can make decisions about what I've heard. But when I see it, man, that just changes everything. And we are blessed at Trinity to have video cameras in just about every crevice and corner of that campus, right? So a kid comes into my office complaining about something. Rarely do I have to think in my, to myself, well, what really happened here? We just go to the videotape, right? Friday, I had a kid come into my office, and I'd already seen the videotape, which was helpful for this conversation. But there was a scuffle in the hallway, and the kid came in, and he was kind of upset with his dad, and he's, he told the dad the story, and he's, I said, well, tell me what you think happened. And he said, so we're coming in from recess, and uh, this kid takes this football, and I mean, he threw it as hard as he could at my face. And I was like, well, he didn't, because I saw the video. Like, he, he flicked his wrist and hit you softly in the face with a football. Now, you reacted, and I said, do you remember what you did? He's like, yeah, I picked it up and threw it pretty hard. I was like, yeah, you threw it as hard as you could. I said, that ball hit him and went ricocheting all over the hallway, hitting the ceiling and all over the place. I said, that's what happened. Yeah, right? Like, when I can see what happened, I man, that changes everything about how I handle a situation. God says, hey, I hear you, Israel, but I see you too. Like, I see exactly what you're going through. I'm going to respond because I'm not just going off a of hearsay. I see it. I see what's happening, and I'm going to respond to it. Number four, we pray to a God who knows what to do. He doesn't just know what's happening. He knows exactly what to do. This word for know, it's the personal, intimate, acquaintance word that we see all throughout the Old Testament, particularly in relationship to a husband and wife. When Adam knew Eve, he knew her intimately. God says, I knew you. I know you, Israel. He knows their situation and all the needs of it. And he knew exactly what to do with all of it. His plan has been set and he's been working behind the scenes. But what we're going to see as we go into chapter 3 is the visible movement will now begin. Now he's coming into the situation and showing Israel and Moses and everybody else what he has been working on. It's not new for him. He didn't just start answering prayers and come up with a plan. He's had the plan in place all along. The prayers now bring it into view. They pray, he responds and says, here we go. Here's how we're going to deliver Israel. When the right time comes, God immediately goes to work. His delays have nothing to do with a lack of concern. The perfect timing has come. He's heard their prayers and he's going to respond visibly now as he begins to deliver them. And think about the perfect timing that's happened here. We've already talked about how the Amorites sin 
Genesis 15, it needed 400 more years to get to the point where God was ready to judge it. But even think about when God kind of gives out this 400-year deal. I mean, he even accounts for the 40 lost years where Moses was really could have done it then, but then Moses has his failures. God has to shelve him in the wilderness for 40 years until this Pharaoh dies, right? Like God even accounts for those 40. He even accounts for our failures. We've been talking about this. God accounts for our failures so they don't mess up his plans. Perfect timing has come now. God's going to move and act and deliver Israel. The implication for us, prayer is our opportunity to bring our needs to God because he desires to act in response to hearing from us. Prayer is our opportunity to bring our needs to God because he desires to act in response to hearing from us. It's not by accident that God ties the unfolding events to the prayers of the people. It's not by accident that God ties unfolding events to the prayers of the people. He is a relational God as much as he is a sovereign God. Think about that. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's going to do what he wants to do. But he calls us to pray to him. Because he wants to respond to our prayers. Because even in his sovereignty, he remains relational. He's a relational God too. He could have delivered Israel without their praying, without their prayers to him. He didn't need their prayers to make him move. But it shows his relationship to them when they pray to him and he responds and he moves. Our application today. Number one, let the predicaments of God's people and his responses in Exodus speak to your own life today. And pray to this same God. Let the predicaments of God's people and his responses in Exodus speak to your own life today. And pray to this same God. Man, I had this thought um, this week. Because, you know, we've had several families over the years. And then even some recently that have had to take their children to Choa for various reasons. Right? Like, I think a visit to Choa is like one of the scariest um, least desirable things that, that, I, that I've ever had to do. I remember I had to take um, Apollos up there like the day after the world shut down in 2020. Like, like the worst time to ever have to go to Choa. I mean, I got there and I, and I just felt like, man, like, I mean, like I'd never been to the hospital in that, at that point in time where everybody was masked. And I mean, it was just a, it was a scary scene. And I'm like, I'm here for my son to just be checked. It's, he doesn't have COVID or anything like he hit his head, Right. We went by, uh, Mally had to go by ambulance a few years ago um, with, with like some breathing issues with RSV. Lauren, I think Lauren was in the ambulance with her. I was driving behind the whole way thinking like, what's going to happen to my baby girl, right? Um, we've had some families that have had to go to Choa recently, and we're certainly not done with families having to go to Choa in the, in the future as well. Here's what I was encouraged as I was pondering these thoughts of Exodus is that um, while that is a scary scene, right? I don't know that it gets much scarier than putting your baby in the Nile River where there are crocodiles and bloodthirsty Egyptians that are looking to kill baby boys at the drop of a hat. And God was sovereign in that situation, right? And if God is sovereign over the Nile River when a baby boy was placed in there and his mommy went home and was crying out to God for help, like, save my baby boy. Let him be, be, be found by, by sympathetic arms that will spare his life. Man, he's certainly sovereign over a trip to Choa, right? Like, let what we're seeing in Exodus translate to today. It's not just old history, old stories that we're reading about. I mean, it speaks to us today. We're praying to the same God. 
We're praying to the same God. Number two, let the delay of God's activity becoming viewable in Exodus speak to your own life today and wait for this same God. Wait for the God who who they had to wait on at that time too. But we wait with a different perspective. We wait knowing that he is working behind the scenes even if we don't see it. We wait knowing that the very things that we're praying for are things that God has already been working to provide for us before we even started praying to him. The Holy Spirit was already there asking probably before you even started vocalizing it. Man, we take comfort and hope in that. Let what we're seeing in Exodus speak to your life today. Pray to this God and wait for this God. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you and praise you that you are a covenant-keeping God. You are a covenant-keeping God who, who our prayers come to and you hear them. And you're ready to work and move and act because you remember your covenant. Not a covenant made with just us, but a covenant made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see us, you know what we need, and you are ready to move and act. God, we thank you that we have that assurance. We thank you that you are a God who is sovereign and in control of everything that happens in our life. We can cry out to you and groan for you. And when we don't know what to pray and we don't know how to groan, we thank you that the Holy Spirit's doing it for us. We thank you that we can come crying out for help, even as sinners, because we know you remember promises and you forget our sins because Jesus is our advocate and his blood has covered our sin. So we can pray to you today as as your children. We can cry out for help knowing that it will come. God, help us to never hope or despair in the political changes around us. God, we don't want to trust in chariots. We don't want to trust in kings. We want to trust in you and you alone. So no matter who's leading our nation, no matter what laws they, they make possible, God, we trust that you are the ultimate king. We cry to you for help. We hope in you. Lord, I pray that what we're seeing in Exodus would speak to our life today. Lord, when we find ourselves in the midst of chaotic situations where circumstances are breaking down around us, Lord, help us to pray to you, to cry to you, knowing that you are in control. And Lord, when we're crying and praying and pleading and we don't see you working and moving, Lord, help us to wait on you. You made Israel wait 400 years before you did what they wanted you to do. Lord, help us to be patient, waiting on you, knowing that you work good for your children. Lord, help us to claim the promise that you've given to us, that you will save us to the very end. God, that's the assurance that we need. You're never going to give up on us. You're never going to abandon us. You're never going to cast us away. You've started a good work in us. You're going to finish it. So God, help us to wait on you when we don't always see you moving. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.